Hi there, this is Pastor Aaron of Fairview Cornerstone Baptist Church, and we pray that through the preaching of God's Word that you were encouraged and pointed to Christ, our glorious Savior. If you have any questions or comments, uh, you can find us at www.fairviewcornerstone.com, and uh, please write to us. We'd love to uh, hear any questions or comments. We pray the Lord encourage you through this sermon. So as we consider the Sermon on the Mount, uh, one of the most famous sermons that Jesus preached, and probably we're most familiar with Matthew's recording of it, as he records nine of these, as they're called, Beatitudes, which just means blessedness, these ways to identify the truly blessed person. Luke here records four for us, and, and last week, as you recall, we just spent the t- some time looking at the, the first beatitude, blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And in that, saw that uh, this, this blessing is ultimately not an emotion, but it is someone who is in a position of great favor before God. Someone who is in a position of great favor before God and the opposite of that in verse 24 are the woes, someone who is in the least position of favor with God. And so Jesus is defining for us the truly blessed life, the truly blessed person. And in many ways, Jesus is giving us the marks of true kingdom citizens. I think one of the great tragedies of our day, and I suppose of any age, um, is that there are many who think themselves saved, who really are not. There is a, a, a misunderstanding in, in every culture, sometimes it's packaged differently, it seems, a misunderstanding as to what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a true citizen of the kingdom of God. And it's easy, in a way, to look back in history and see some of those false, uh, those false views of what it means to be a citizen. We think of you know, even uh, this past year, 500 years since the Reformation, and we look at the history of, of what happened in, in maybe the Catholic Church and, and the idea that if you were baptized as an infant and then if you went through certain uh, rituals, you would be a Christian. If you gave penance and if you had attendance to Mass and if you partook of the Lord's table, these things would make you a Christian. And this was true in Jesus' day as well. There was a misunderstanding of what does it mean to be a a kingdom citizen? What does it mean to be part of God's people? For them, it was that the the ethnic identity is Jew. If you were a physical descendant of Abraham, if you had been circumcised as the sign of this covenant, if you are walking in the obedience to the law as far as they interpreted it, then they concluded they were kingdom citizens. And I think many times for us, we too can have the idea that it's mostly about what we do. It's mostly about the external actions of our body that make us true kingdom citizens. And sadly, I think sometimes there's this idea that if I have done certain outward things, if I have 
walked an aisle or if I have signed a card or if I have been baptized in water or if I have, you know, pretty good attendance to Sunday school, then, then come judgment day, I'm going to be okay. God's going to look favorably upon me and I, and I assume that I am part of his kingdom. But Jesus really cuts through all of the misconceptions about what it means to be a kingdom citizen. And last week we saw that, first of all, it is those who are poor. And Matthew, in, in this recording the same sermon, takes a little bit more, uh, gives a little more information. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. So it's not just a physical poverty. It is a spiritual understanding of your own bankruptcy before God, that, that I cannot deliver myself. I cannot lift myself out of this bondage to sin. And as you acknowledge that poverty, you call upon God, you call upon Christ, and from the, from the wealth of Christ's righteousness, through his death and his resurrection, then his wealth is given to you by faith. And so we won't go into um, maybe as much detail as far as uh, some of the, what Jesus is meaning here. I think the, the, the theme carries throughout this entire sermon that there is this dual reality that we're, we're looking at, the physical and the spiritual. And as we saw last week, I believe Jesus is primarily talking about the spiritual. Although I don't want to say the physical has nothing to do with what Jesus is talking about either. Surely there is many who are poor uh, in the world because of their faith in Christ, and, and they indeed will have a tremendous blessing as they enter into the kingdom of God. But the same for this, we see the word that Jesus used, blessed are you who are hungry, uh, that position of great favor before God, a position that we all, if you don't desire that now, trust me, on judgment day, you will desire a position of favor before God. You will want to be in favor on that day with this God. And so we should desire this blessedness. And Jesus, again, in a very uh, countercultural way, says, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. And Matthew, in Matthew 5, um, again, expanding this a little bit for us, says, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you shall be satisfied. So I don't think it would be right to say that, that, that uh, Luke has one primary meaning and, and Matthew another. I think they are both quoting Jesus, and as Jesus preaches this sermon, he has... Uh, one, one message in mind. And so I still believe, even though Matthew maybe not, um, sorry, Luke not giving us that spiritual um, clarity that Matthew does, the, tru- the, 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 the truth is the same. This is primarily a spiritual hunger to which Jesus is referencing. But again, let's not ignore the reality of the physical hunger to which many of the disciples of Jesus have been accustomed to. Even the audience that Jesus is speaking to, when you really step back and and think about who it is that understood the identity of Christ, that that believed upon him, that that actually witnessed his miracles because they, they, they had faith in their hearts towards God, it was often, not always, often it was not the wealthy, it was not the influential, it was 
not the, those in, in great positions of authority. Oftentimes, it is the marginalized, the poor, the hungry, the destitute, the outcast. They are often the ones that see Christ for who he is. And, and so there is a sense in which I think Jesus, looking at his disciples here, knowing that many of them would go days without food because of their faith in Christ. Many of them would be in prison. Many of them would be beaten. Many of them would be even shipwrecked and and go for days without food for the cause of Christ. And Jesus is saying, even that physical hunger for my sake will one day disappear and you will be most satisfied. Um, I, I personally think there will be food in heaven. Now, I can't you know, I'm not going to make a big deal about this. There's, there's not really a lot of, uh, you know, description for us as to what the new heavens and the new earth will be like. Um, we, we do know that Jesus ate food after he physically rose from the dead. So will there be food in heaven? Will there be a physical satisfaction to this hunger? Um, it, it, it's not really the primary issue. Um, but I think this picture of the table of the Lord, of the marriage, uh, the supper of the Lamb, of that fellowship, whether it's through eating or, or just the communion with God, will be the greatest satisfaction that his people will know. And, uh, and so I think the, the, the physical element is, is no doubt part of as Jesus looks at these disciples um, there. But primarily, Jesus is... I believe, talking about a spiritual type of hunger that mark the kingdom citizens. We know that there is plenty of, of uh, world hunger among all kinds of religions. So it's not just that anyone who's physically hungry or going without food is a kingdom citizen. There must be more to it than that. And, and I think Matthew clarifies that it is this hunger and thirst for spiritual uh, righteousness for for a a spiritual satisfaction and so um, answering the first question what does jesus mean by hunger Um, i believe he primarily has this spiritual hunger in view now think for a moment we 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 use the example of the human brain uh maybe a little strange i don't know i'm really not much of a biology guy i just barely snuck through biology in high school so i had to uh, research that you know and and that's about as far as i could explain it was there's a, a part of the brain that that uh it lets our bodies know we need to eat and that 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 hypothalamus in our brain will also communicate to us when we are full but they have they have even on animals found that if that part of the brain is damaged that the body can, can no longer sense hunger. You could actually go for days without eating and not even know that you are starving to death. And, and at the same time, if, if a, the other part of that hypothalamus would be damaged, that you could eat and eat and eat and your body would never communicate to you that, hey, you, you're full, you can stop now, you're, 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 you're going to be okay. And, and it's an amazing... Um, I think, illustration of what Jesus is talking about. Because as we talk with the children, we are not physical only. We are physical and spiritual. And one way to understand the fall of the human race is that that 
part of our soul, that our soul which hungered for God, that Adam and Eve would have desired that communion with God, desired to walk with God in the garden, that part of our humanity was destroyed at the fall so that spiritually we could not perceive our need. We were like people who were starving to death but could not sense it. We, we could not perceive this great hunger, and we spiritually, uh, as Paul would say, died because of our sin before God. And so you might think then, which, uh, sorry, the first question was, what is this hunger? Is it a, is a primarily a spiritual hunger for righteousness? Is it a hunger for God? Um, and our inability to hunger came as a result of sin, And so, spiritually speaking, we don't hunger for God. I think that's exactly what Paul says in Romans 3, that that nobody seeks after God. No one is looking for their soul to be satisfied by God, this hunger for righteousness, because we are all dead in our trespasses and sins apart from the Lord. So the second question then this morning that I... I want to answer is what awakens our hunger for God? What is it about these kingdom citizens that are now perceiving this spiritual need, that are now, that are now able to not only know their, their need and their hunger, but they then begin seeking after satisfaction. They begin seeking that food that can satisfy their souls. There's a beautiful illustration of this in John Three, and you know the story, so we won't read it all, but there is a man that comes to Jesus by night who is a religious leader, and so we don't want to say that there's no religious leaders that uh, in Jesus' day believed upon him. This man, Nicodemus, came to Jesus, and he has this hunger that is growing in his soul, and because of that, he comes to Christ and he, without even asking a question, gets an answer from Jesus. I think Jesus knows the question that is burning upon his heart. And uh, Jesus says in John 3, 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The question burning upon Nicodemus' heart was, what about the kingdom? Where is it? If you, I, I, see this, I see the works that you're doing. I hear these marvelous words that you're saying. But what about the kingdom? How do I, where is it? Like, how do I see it? When is it coming? That was the question burning upon every Jew's heart. When is this kingdom to come? How do I know that I am in the kingdom? And Jesus tells him, unless you are born again, he cannot see the kingdom. And that's another way, I think, of saying that unless you are born again, you can't even perceive your own spiritual need. You cannot perceive your own spiritual hunger. There must be something within you that comes to life like that, that brain that, that had been damaged and you're unable to perceive your hunger, the soul has been damaged and is not able to perceive its hunger. And so there must be a healing of 
our soul, to perceive it. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, it is as dramatic as being born again. And of course, Nicodemus is confused because he's still thinking in physical realities, and he's thinking, well, what are you talking about? Am I supposed to somehow go back into my mother's womb that I can be born? And Jesus says, no, no, no. You don't understand, Nicodemus. I'm not talking about a physical birth. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. And he says, unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of Spirit is Spirit. And so this is what happens for these kingdom citizens. They have been awakened to their need of God They have now this hunger that is deep within their souls. They are parched. They are starving for this righteousness. And it is because of the enabling work of God within us that comes to us through the gospel message and is empowered by His Spirit. You know the story of the woman at the well. Again, here's a woman physically thirsty and her physical thirst drives her to a well where she is going to draw water and return home only she's coming because alone because no doubt is probably an outcast is known to be an adulterer and yet jesus comes to her as the living water and tells her the water i will give you will satisfy your soul forevermore that it will become within you like a fountain of life. And again, she's thinking, okay, well, that would be handy, you know, to have this, you know, could you imagine if I had a tap I could just turn on and get water whenever I wanted and I wouldn't have to come out all this way and this, this tap would never run out, you know. I don't think we really appreciate running water like we should, probably. But again, Jesus is like, no, 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 it's not physical. I am talking about a spiritual reality. And as the woman talks, the Lord begins to cause her to see her own need, to to see Christ as the Savior, and she, perceiving her need, believes upon Christ. Peter would tell the, the Christians, he says, like newborn infants long for the spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. First Peter 2.2. 2. The apostles use this language of food and drink, but it is primarily a spiritual reality. Peter's not talking about literal milk. He's talking about hungering for the Lord, for his word. And as we hunger and eat, we grow. So, the first question is, what is this hunger? It is primarily a spiritual hunger for righteousness for God. How does this hunger awaken? It awakens through the gospel by the empowering of God. This new birth brings about in the true kingdom citizen a hunger for the things of God, for righteousness. And then, lastly, what does it mean to be satisfied? What does it mean to be satisfied? Jesus says that those who are hungry now shall be satisfied. And I think in a physical way, we could, we, we could say that those who have physically gone without food for the sake of Christ uh, will one day never hunger again. I don't know how our, our glorified bodies 
uh, will work. I mean, it, Jesus, I said, as we saw, ate food, but there, it does not seem that he ate it out of a necessity to live, um, no doubt in part to just to show that he had a physical body, but, but there will not be a problem with world hunger in the new heavens and new earth. Amen? There will not be a shortage of physical nourishment in the new heavens and new earth. And so Jesus, I think on that level, would, yes, there will be this satisfaction. But spiritually speaking, what does it mean to be satisfied in the Lord? And this is an already and not yet satisfaction for the kingdom citizen. There is a satisfaction that comes just as Jesus would say in John 6, that I am the true bread that has come down from heaven, anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood uh, will be part of me. And of course, they're thinking physically and they're thinking that's cannibalism. Especially as a Jew, that is horrendous to even talk that way. And most of them leave and yet the 12 are there and they say, and Jesus looks at them and says, are, are you guys going to leave as well? And they say, no, you have the words of life. And Jesus looks at his disciples and tells them in John 6, listen, those words that I was saying about flesh, eating my flesh, drinking my blood, it is spiritual. It is a spiritual reality for the kingdom citizen to feed upon Christ and to be satisfied in Christ. But it is an already and not yet satisfaction. In the sense that we are awakened to our need through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's, it's obvious what hungry people do. We, 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 especially, I mean, if you have children, um, they let you know when they're hungry. And they start rummaging around looking for food. And, you know, they're getting into things. And maybe mom's almost got supper on the table, but they're trying to snitch little pieces of cheese. Or they're, they're going into the pantry and trying to find a granola bar. They, they seek after food, don't they? And spiritually, the same is true. When you are awakened to your need, when you are all of a sudden aware of your own spiritual hunger, you begin searching for true food, for that which would satisfy and you find it only in Christ. One of the tests, uh, often with my boys, they'll come and say, I'm so hungry, I'm so hungry. Oh, okay, well, how about a banana? No, 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 I don't want a banana. I'm just so hungry. Uh, well, what about an apple? No, 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 I don't want an apple. I just, I just, I'm just so hungry. And, and when you get down to the bottom of it, what they want is some chocolate. They want some pop. They want something sweet. They are craving junk food. But that's not real hunger, is it? When you are truly hungry, you want something that's going to nourish your body, something that's going to, going to not make you sick after you eat it. And so for the Christian, as you are awakened to this hunger, you seek after Christ who is the true bread, who is the true drink from heaven. And we are satisfied when we believe upon Christ and we understand that we are justified before the Father by His death, His resurrection, that our, our debt has been paid, that His Spirit is put within us, and we are given the promise of eternal life. And there is this sense of satisfaction and, and joy and peace that comes to the soul when they look upon Christ. But there is this not yet element as well, partly because we battle 
inward sin. And so we have these different desires declaring war on one another. As, as um, Even in Galatians, Paul would remind the, the Galatians of those fruits that are of the flesh and those fruits that are of the Spirit. And to be careful as you start to see fruits of the flesh coming out that you are feeding that fleshly appetite. And then you will begin to produce fleshly fruit of anger and jealousy and hatred and gossip and, and sexual immorality and those things begin coming out because you are feeding that appetite. But for the Christian, we are to feed the soul and, and this is an ongoing need in our life. We find satisfaction in Christ as we believe and we trust in his finished work on the cross, but there is this ongoing need of feeding upon Christ as true bread, as true drink. And like the psalmist, we would say, as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. And that is something that we continue to, to hunger for, this righteousness in Christ. So this satisfaction um, is ultimately found in the glorification of all things. Just flip for one moment um, to Romans 8 for, for, with me. To be satisfied, I think, comes as you believe upon Christ and you receive forgiveness. It is an ongoing thing in the life of the Christian as you continue to hunger and thirst for him, as you continue to grow in the Lord. But then there is this ultimate satisfaction that will come, we find in Romans 8, that even creation is longing for. Paul says in Romans 8, 18, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope. So here's the reason for this subjection. The hope that God is looking to as he subjects all things to corruption, the hope is that creation itself will be set free from its bondage of, to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And then he says, not only creation in verse 23, but we ourselves who have this first fruits of the Spirit, we also groan inwardly, as we eagerly await the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So there is this ongoing hunger as well to see the fullness of the glory of Christ descending upon the earth, our bodies changed, all of creation changed, the, the desires of our flesh that war against the desires of our soul will be forever gone as we are transformed into the likeness of Christ. And there we will dwell with Christ and we will know ultimate satisfaction and contentment with our Lord. And so, true kingdom citizens are marked by a hunger for Christ and his righteousness. The evidence of this true hunger is that nothing else satisfies your soul. Yes, there are times when we go after those desires of the flesh, when we 
give ourselves over to our anger or to our pride or to our anxiety or to our jealousy or we give ourselves over to our lust and we follow after those appetites, but the true kingdom citizen is made sick by them. He quickly realizes as soon as it enters into his system that this is is not true food. This is not going to nourish me. And they They confess, they repent, they turn away, and they flee back to Christ over and over. That is the mark of the true kingdom citizen. So ask yourself, what do you hunger for? What do you wake up in the morning desiring? As you lay down at night, what is your heart longing for? Do you find that you are taking time to nourish your soul? Do you find joy in in the fellowship with God through his word, through his prayer, the the means of grace that God has given? Do you find satisfaction in those things as you partake of the Lord's table, as we fellowship together as a body? Is there a sense in which you you are acknowledging, I am being fed, my soul is being nourished, and this is good? Or are you just going through the motions because you feel like there's this expectation upon you that you must do it? If that is the case, then I urge you to examine yourself. Have you been born of the Spirit? Have you actually tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Do you find pleasure in the things of this world, or is it repulsive to you and you hunger for that which is of God? Test yourself. And let us spur one another on, even as... Paul would tell the Ephesians not to be drunk with wine, but with the Spirit and to, through song and spiritual hymns and through the Word to build one another up in the faith. And all the more as we see the day approaching. And we will close with that. Um, it's one final word to you if you're here and you, you think, okay, so this spiritual hunger, this desire for Christ, this desire for his righteousness, I don't have that. I, I don't know what you're talking about. That is, that is a foreign thing to me. I plead with you not to just throw up your hands and conclude, oh, well, I guess not for me. But get on your knees before the Lord. Even now, as you sit in your seat, call out to the Lord and ask Him, Lord, awaken my hunger. Give me that hunger. I want to be a kingdom citizen. I want to know that the Lord is good. I want to, I want to understand this kingdom citizen um, characteristic of hunger for Christ. And you call out to God and you ask him to, as the father who is struggling with doubt, Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Pray that and call upon Christ to forgive you and to make you new and he will answer that prayer. Jesus would stand among the people and say, anyone who thirsts, come to me. Anyone who's hungry, come to me. And that invitation is open for anyone who perceives this need, who has this hunger in their heart to come. Isaiah 55 says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. That is the invitation this morning. Let's pray. 
God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I know that I, Lord, do such a uh, poor job at times of, well, all the time of truly unfolding the beauty of your word to us, God. But we ask that your, your spirit does work in us, that you enable us to perceive our need, that you make us a hungry people, God. And that that hunger drives us to Christ day by day. And Lord, that we settle for nothing less. I pray for, Lord, the young people who are being offered some very impressive-looking fruit. But, oh God, would you help them to perceive that it is death, that there is no nourishment in it, Lord. And God, for pray for the, the elderly among us, God, as they experience the, their bodies not working like they used to and, and the, the frustration that that could be. Lord, I pray that that would not cause despair, but it would cause an increasing hunger for you, a spiritual growth and maturity and renewal, God. We pray for the families. Lord, as we try to raise uh, our children, would you help us to point them to true food? Lord, would you help us to remember, to tell them Your stomach is not the most important need in your life, God. You have a a spiritual need and that they would perceive it by your spirit. And Lord, we ask you, go before us and we thank you for your promise of walking with us. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in today to the sermon uh, preached at Fairview Cornerstone Baptist Church. And again, if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at church at fairviewcornerstone.com. God bless.